0: Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down and New Orleans this time. Competition is fun. Competition is fun. Competition is fun. Competition is fun. Competition is Welcome to another edition of Hard in the Paint with David Grubb. And I am proud to welcome LSU's digital media reporter and host of the official LSU Football and Hoops podcast, as well, the one and only Cody Warsham. How are you doing, Cody?
1: Doing great, David. Good to be on with you. It's been a while since
0: we talked last.
1: Yeah, it's been a, it's been a, probably pre-covid since we talked last if I don't know all all the days kind of run together now. Yeah. Um, it, it really has. Of, it kind of seems like kind of seems like one uh one giant blur that uh, you know, feels like it's still March but it also feels like it's been a million years since March. So
0: it does I have no sense of time and space anymore. <laughs> I don't know what day of the week it is most times cuz they're all this so similar now. Um but What I want to talk to you about is LSU gets to two and two with that big win over South Carolina at home. Yeah. There are a number of things that you take out of it, but the thing that jumps out the most certainly that everyone is talking about is the performance of TJ Finley, 17 for 21, 265, two TDs. First, I was surprised he didn't get any recognition as freshman of the week.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we, we were, we were too. I know, um, was it Auburn had a running back that had a big game, um, so, you know, to to each his own and, you know, everyone – I think everyone's aware after you gave my title there of my biases, but you can't play much better than TJ played um, against South Carolina and in the spot that he was in. I, I think he – yeah, he, he was a little bit hard done by the uh, by the SEC this week, I'm afraid, because he, he he definitely played well enough to earn that.
0: Absolutely. I mean, for a freshman to be making his first start, and I don't care that it's not the same crowd and all of those things, this is a SEC game. This is against, you know, a, a t- and, and you're going into this with a team that you are trying to get familiar with yourself. All these, you have a freshman tight end. You have this new offensive line that's still gelling. And, and you come out and perform that way, the accuracy. What were the things that the coaching staff walked away from? Certainly, Ed Orgeron was big on his confidence in Finley. But did he expect to see this kind of poise, this kind of accuracy, um, and his ability to read the defense that he displayed?
1: yeah so I, I go back to fall camp um, I, I went out there a couple times and, and watched a couple practices and scrimmages and I remember having a conversation with somebody in the program um, before one of the scrimmages and, and I was just checking in on the quarterback situation and they said you know look miles is, is doing well um, there's there's still some things we want to get him better at but I'll tell you what these young quarterbacks are pushing him and it wasn't a thing where you know miles wasn't gonna be the starter they were just more impressed with how quickly both TJ and Max had settled into the program and the scrimmage that I went and watched, you know, Miles had a really good scrimmage. Um, I think he threw three or four touchdowns, but TJ was working with the twos and I was watching him and I was like, man, this kid can play. Like I don't follow recruiting as much as, as I used to now that I work for LSU. Cause I, I can't even write about recruiting, talk about recruiting because the NCAA rules but I I was familiar with TJ and, and, you know, saw the highlight packages, but I just kind of figured, you know, he's a true freshman. It's going to take him and Max some time to adapt. And I was watching him in the scrimmage. I was like, this guy looks like a a junior, like he, nothing rattles him. He's super poised and uh, looks really, really comfortable. And so I think they expected the coaching staff expected him to look like that, but I think they were thinking more like he's going to do fine. Um, he's going to have a series where we do well. He's going to have a series where he makes a mistake or two. We'll put Max in. We'll kind of see who's better, and then we'll go from there. And, I mean, TJ came in, took it by the scruff of the neck, and didn't didn't even let that door crack at all. And, uh, you know, the, the offense was catered to him for sure. Um, I think the coaching staff did a great job of putting him in a position to succeed. But at the same time, he deserves all the credit in the world for taking that System and executing it, executing it almost perfectly. There was the one interception that was more of a miscommunication with the receiver, kind of a an eyes thing. Um, other than that, he he was he was awesome and, uh, and and just showed the maturity, the talent, everything you want to see in a young quarterback. He he's got it and he showed it against South Carolina.
0: And the great thing for him is the amount of support he gets from the skill positions around him. What I was really impressed with and what had been a struggle for LSU outside of one game was getting the running game going. You get John Emery leading off and kind of bludgeoning South Carolina. Then uh, Price Davis in the second half was just fantastic. How important is it to get those guys going? Even if one isn't the lead guy, hopefully one emerges of course, but LSU's long had a tradition of having two very solid backs, how important is it for these guys to emerge in this in their sophomore years?
1: Yeah, it was it was huge. You know, John and, and Ty are extremely talented. Um, I think with with Miles playing as well as he played in the first three games it's one of those things where it's like, look, we're, we're moving the ball. And a lot of times LSU was uh, either trailing or uh, it was a tight game. And so it's, it's a little bit harder to lean on the run in those situations. But this game, they didn't have a choice. I mean, you can't throw TJ out there and have him throw 45, 50 times. It's just not, you know, as as good as he played, as well as he played, you know, there's bound to be a mistake or two in there that could be costly. So you want to give him as much support as you can. I thought the running backs did that. I thought the scheme provided that. I thought the offensive line rose to the occasion. That was the biggest concern for me. When you looked at the – I'm a big numbers guy. You look at the yards before contact numbers for the first three games for LSU in the run game, they weren't very good. Um, They weren't – the running backs were breaking tackles and getting yards after contact, but they weren't getting a lot of yards before contact, and that tells me the offensive line wasn't getting the push, wasn't carving open the holes that they needed to. They did that against South Carolina. I think Ty and John um, were one and two in the SEC last week in yards before contact. They got three yards before contact. And these are guys that are averaging, you know, two, three, four yards after contact. So do the math. You're getting five, six, seven yards to carry. Um, that, that's, that's exactly what LSU needed. They stayed ahead of the chains, their success rate, which is kind of a, a measurement of staying ahead of the chains was the highest it's been all year offensively. I think like 71% of their passing plays were um, ahead of the chains. I think like 60% of their total plays were ahead of the chain. So they were constantly on schedule. And even when they weren't instead of third and, nine it was third and six um they're actually their their third down average was just 3 yards needed which was you know it was 9.6 yards the game before so makes it easier on the quarterback to make a play makes it easier on the running game when you stay ahead of the chain so that was uh that was really good to see it made everything flow so much better that was actually the most fun that i've had watching an lsu game in a while even going back to last year cuz last year the stakes were were high You had an expectation level. There was some stress involved. This game, I had no expectations. I didn't know what to expect. Um, And and as they came out and sort of established the run and RPO stayed ahead of the chains, I was sitting up there getting excited because you could see this isn't just a one-dimensional offense. They can do a lot of things, and that's something they're going to have to do moving forward for the rest of the year, not only to help TJ, but to help the defense. Um, It it makes the team as a unit thrive uh, that much more. So it was really exciting to see.
0: Well, let's talk about um, first. Let's talk about the offensive line, which really came together in this game, provided a clean pocket, opened up those holes for the running game. What What's been key in them kind of making a leap um, and progressing over these past two weeks?
1: Yeah, I think Ed Ingram's addition was huge. Um, he didn't play. What game? He missed the. They're all, again, time is all running together. I think he missed the uh, the Missouri game um, and. That's not to take away from the guys behind him, but Ed Ingram is a difference maker. I mean, that is a guy. I think LSU got like 115 rushing yards um, against South Carolina, just running between Ed Ingram and Liam Shanahan. And you know, Ed, what? And it's it's just like any other position. There's a knockdown effect. You take out Ed Ingram, um, the next guy has to step in. Well, that affects what Liam Shanahan has to do. So when when Ed's in the game, Liam at center, you know, he he can leave Ed alone. Hey, Ed, you got your guy one on one. Win your battle. I'm gonna go bump combo on the other side with, uh, with with Chasen Hines. I'm gonna hit the you know I'm gonna hit the, the tackle that he's blocking and then work my way to the second level. Well, if Chasen wins his job, wins his assignment, Liam doesn't have to bump. He can just get to the second level. So it's, there's a there's a huge knock-on effect with offensive line play where one guy winning his one-on-one by himself and dominating it the way that Ed did. Well, it makes Liam's job easier. And then Chasen's job is easier. And then the tackles have an easier job because there's some run game going, and those those edge rushers have to slow up their their pass rush pursuit a little bit because they've got to hold contain. So there's a there's always football to me is the is the epitome of this in and, and sports more than even basketball or baseball. That there's there's always a domino effect. You take out your number one cornerback, there's a domino effect. You take out your number one guard, there's a domino effect. And uh, getting Ed Ingram in there, the push that he was getting made everyone on that line's job easier. And then I thought guys like Eric Gilbert at tight end, Terrace, at, at, at Terrace Marshall, wide receiver, they were blocking in the running game. They were generating holes. Um, when everyone's bought in like that, knowing, hey, we got to make life easier on our quarterback, and then they do that, it makes the whole offense better.
0: Yeah, I noticed you made a special um, importance of um, pointing out how you get Gilbert and you get – Marshall on the outside doing such a great job um, blocking. And that is key for a running game is to have your receivers, your um, outside people buy into blocking as well. How much um, have we seen this relationship? And TJ Finley talked about it, working with Steve Inzminger. It's just, it seems that he brings something to the table in his ability to communicate with quarterbacks that is extremely unique. Um, Just having him on board and Going, you know, people talking about the loss of Joe Brady, it's it's Steve Innsmere's show still, no matter what you bring in. He's still the leader of this offense.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, Joe was obviously huge in what what we what LSU did last year. And um, he installed he helped install a lot of the offense that you still see today. But Steve called, you know, 70, 80 percent of the play calls last year. Um, which I think people hear that and they don't believe, like it's true. Like I've talked to people that were on the headsets. That's, that's the case. Um, You you mentioned his ability to communicate with quarterbacks. I I think that's Stevens Minger's um, defining trait is his ability to relate to players. It's why he's a a great recruiter. Um, It's why he's, he's a a really good uh, to great quarterbacks coach. Like he's been the last couple of years is um he he knows how to connect with guys no matter how old they are no matter what their background is their um their upbringing he knows how to speak the language that communicates to them and you know he did a great job obviously with TJ i think i i want to give some credit to miles too because you know miles um tj was telling me after the game that miles you know sat down with him on friday and went through all the blitz packages pressure packages protection checks, made sure he was on the same page. So Miles was bought in there. Um, but I, I'll give you a stat that Todd Politz sent after the game. Um, I don't know if this is public. I don't know if he's put this out publicly. Maybe it's in the game notes somewhere. But these are the youngest quarterbacks to start a game in LSU football history. The youngest, well, well TJ Finley was the third youngest. Um, and this is just days. This is days old. He's 6,788 days at his first start. So he's 18 years old. Steve Insminger is the youngest. Steve Insminger <laughs> started at, at 18 years old too, so he's been there. He's been through the fire. Um, he knows what TJ was experiencing, and, and then he also knows, hey, this is how I can talk to TJ and get through to him. This is how I can talk to Miles and get through to him. This is how I can talk to Max and get through to him. That is a uh, a, a very difficult trait to have. A lot of people can only speak one language. He can speak three, four, or five different um, languages with these guys, figuratively speaking and get through to them. And you you saw, you've seen that with the quarterback play the last couple of years, it's been, it's been phenomenal. And uh, TJ just kind of picked up where, where, you know, Joe and, and Miles had left off and and ran with it.
0: Um, One of the players too, that I wanted to highlight, Terrace Marshall, I think is, is the most unsung receiver in the country. Uh, You know, last year, obviously he's overshadowed by Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, He comes into this season, Ray Civic Math is listed higher than him on a lot of awards um, projections. In his last 16 games, 73 catches, almost 1,200 yards, and 22 touchdowns. And he did most of that as the third option last season. He stepped up as a leader on this offense, but he's also showing that he's not just a deep threat. He's a guy who can make people miss, and he can make physical catches in traffic.
1: Yeah, that, that's exactly right you know a couple things on Terrace um, I always start here with Terrace he is the best like individual just in terms of personality um, his engagement around the program the way he interacts with people his gratitude his appreciation, his respect for uh, everyone in the program from the guy picking up the dirty towels to you know the, the guy signing the paychecks for the, the staff. He treats everyone with incredible respect and um, remembers names, shakes hands, makes eye contact, which is, I don't even wanna call it a little thing. I think that's a big thing. That's a big thing in my career when I'm 30 years old and trying to you know, work my way up the professional ladder. How many 19 year olds, 20 year olds are you seeing doing that kind of stuff? So he's very, very mature. Um, what I've liked about his demeanor this year is he is he's 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 nasty right now. You know that that nice guy that he is off the field, on the field he's been a dog. I mean he's getting after it. He's blocking. He's talking trash. Um, Jamar Chase was commenting on it during the game, like look at Terrace man, like Terrace is, is is showing some dog. Which Jamar Jamar is just that way. Like that's just how Jamar is. Terrace is that way too though. And so I think with with Jamar moving on, with Justin moving on, it opened up some of that. Um, some space for Terrace to more express himself, but the last thing is, and you touched on this, they're using him so differently this year. Last year it was, hey, Terrace, go line up wide. You're the, you know, you're the the Z receiver. Just you're, you're going to be isolated by yourself. Go deep, make a play in the air, and come down with it. And he was great at that. This year they are, hey, you're you're you know you're the X on this play. You're the Z on this play. Um, you know you're on the slot here. You're on trips here. I mean they're moving him everywhere. And he's showing what he could do. One of the stats that I, I had after the game was his yards after catch. He's already has more yards after catch and more yards after contact this year in four games than he did in 12 games last year. And that's that's a testament to, one, his ability with the ball in his hands once he makes the play. But, two, they're giving him the ball in space to make those plays. Last year it was go catch it in the end zone, go catch it on the sideline. This year it's catch it over the middle of the field, catch it behind the line of scrimmage, um, come come across on a slant and they're they're just using him in a number of ways and it's been fun to see because he's he's showcased that um that that how good he is I had to laugh the other day I saw a a mock draft and I'm not a big mock draft guy I saw a mock draft that had him in the third round and I literally like got up from my computer and laughed and walked away like that there there ain't no way I mean I'm not a player evaluator there's no way that Terrace Marshall is going in the third round and if if he does like I'm not really a big Saints fan, but I'll be screaming at the Saints for passing up on him twice. Like, you, if he's on the board, you take him. That's how good he is. So, he's going to have a great uh, professional career, but um, I'm looking forward to seeing how he finishes off his LSU career because he's been unbelievable.
0: Just, I mean, yeah, just you see it. You see the progression from last year to this year, and he was so talented last year. Um, it's just phenomenal. The defense finally um, did better overall. Still gave up a lot of yards. But you still see the pressures. This LSU team is, is has excelled at that, creating sacks. But the yardage, the plays—this was the first game of the season where they allowed more than seven yards per play in one. What is still the the main thing that um, Bo Pelini is is wanting to work on? Because it's just been consistent. We're talking about big plays on the outside, big plays down the field. What's what's this failure? for this a defense right now to, to, to end that?
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it, it, you're right. It was a step in the right direction, but there's still a long way to go for this defense right now. They're the, the analogy that I've been using is um, they're, they're kind of like that home run hitter in baseball that is going to step up to the plate and he's either going to hit a home run or he's going to strike out. Like he's going to go one for four with three strikeouts and then a grand slam. That's kind of where they are right now. You know, you get the pick six, you get the sacks um, that the drive killers that you're, you're you um, you know, that was, that was big against South Carolina where you know, getting them behind the chains of sacks, getting the pick six obviously is huge, but then you're giving up huge plays on the edge. Um, so to me, that's where it starts. You, you got to stop the run. Um, you, you can address the pass game uh, after that, but the ability to stop the run and particularly the run off the edges uh, up the middle, I, I don't have this. I haven't looked at the stats to see. I feel like LSU has been better between the tackles. It's been, the counter plays and the jet sweeps and the fly sweeps and um, the stuff off the tackles where they've struggled. And to me, I'm not a, I'm not a football X's and O's guy, but it feels like the linebacker play sideline to sideline has to be faster. You know, Patrick queen was great at, you know, cleaning up that pursuit. Um Grant Delpit was great at taking those angles from safety and, and and chopping down a rusher before he could get going. Um it feels like those angles are wrong. The pursuit isn't as quite as 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 urgent. Um but I, I think you can fix that. I think, you know, I know Demone's been Demone Clark has been the uh the subject of of some fan ire and I understand that, but I think he's good enough to do it. I think he's still trying to get comfortable um, knowing when to pursue angles to pursue, how hard to pursue. I mean, we saw it with, I, I hate to say it. He, he chased down a couple running backs on long plays and, you know, you don't want to see a guy break off a 35 yard run and, and then say, Oh, look at the nice pursuit by the linebacker there to make the tackle. Yeah. If he takes a better angle to start, it's a three yard run instead of a 35 yard run, but you could see the closing speed. He's catching up to that, that running back. So he's got the athleticism to do it. And Damone is kind of like Terrace; He's one of the best, best kids in the world. You, you, a coach's dream um if he can just get that angle right get that timing right get the confidence to uh to pursue the ball yeah I, i'd almost like to see the defense start over pursuing you know what i mean like it feels like they're under pursuing so much and taking shorter angles hey over pursue make that make that running back cut it back and if he beats you with that cut back okay well, then we'll work on that but once you clean up that running game i think it fixes a lot of other issues. You're, you're you're pretty good at corner right now. I mean, with Stingley and Ricks, like they're they're not perfect. Stingley's pretty close to perfect, and Ricks is is played really really well. They're not perfect, but they're gonna they're gonna do their job and they're gonna do it well. And you know, um, I, th- I think you're good there. You got a Flots got to continue to develop at the nickel spot. Um, he he's he had a great year last year. He's seeing now this year that. You know, going from being the fourth corner to the third corner is a big transition. Not having Kerry Vincent there is a big transition. Mm-hmm. So, there, all the you know, I, I could talk about all the surrounding pieces. The first things first, though, you got to stop the run. You got to clean up the edges. Um, you got to contain that because on the drives that LSU did that, they played well. On the drives they didn't do that, they got skin. So fix that going forward. And Auburn is the ultimate test of that because you know how they love to hit the edges and, and, Gus Malzahn's offense. And, and um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's going to be huge. Just stop the run. If you can do that, I think the defense can use that as a platform.
0: So let's talk about Auburn. Um, first, the question is, is does Miles Brennan return? It seems that there's no reason if he's not a hundred percent LSU doesn't have to push. You have the bye week after this. Um, and then this Auburn team has quite frankly, hasn't been impressive They've given up 180 yards on the ground. They've been they got beat pretty badly by Georgia early. They got beaten at South Carolina. And then they go down to the wire against Mississippi. Bo Nix hasn't taken the leap that that people projected for him. This seems like if you don't have to, you can go with Finley again and feel confident.
1: Yeah, you know, I I I think what you saw from TJ on Saturday, if you can just get that same type of performance, um, then yeah, you can you can afford to keep miles in the training room instead of on the football field, and you can get him healthier. And Auburn has it's been a weird it's been a weird year for Auburn. I feel like every every year is a weird year for Auburn. But like should have lost to Arkansas. Um, fortunate, to a, a, a um, lost to fortunate to have a a call go their way. Probably should have lost to Ole Miss. Fortunate to have a call go their way. They could be one and four right now, and you know struggled against Georgia, uh, losing to South Carolina. So it feels like, in terms of, for the first three games for LSU, it was like, all right, is LSU not as talented as we thought? Or are they just not executing as well? And I think you saw against South Carolina, the talent's still there. They're still super talented. They just weren't executing. They finally executed against South Carolina. To me, it's the same thing. Get your your guys in as many one on ones as possible, and let them win their one on ones uh, against Auburn. And you know, Gus Malzahn and Chad Morris being over there now, their offenses. Um, I haven't watched them this year, but the Malzahn offense is, you know, it feels like that Eli Drinkwater offense that you saw against Missouri, a lot of misdirection, a lot of counter, a lot of trying to get you um, confused. And LSU's defense, the one thing that they did do differently against South Carolina was they really simplified the call came in and it was the call and they stuck with the call. There were still some assignment busts. There were still some guys making mistakes, but they cleared up that aspect of it. And so if you can take that next step defensively, um, I think that puts you in a position where you can, keep TJ keep the running game going. Um, but I, th- I, you know, I didn't touch on this yet. I thought the other great aspect of what the offense did against South Carolina was they kept the defense off the field. You know, you, you do get a pick six, you do get a kick return for a touchdown in the second half that kind of um, distorted the time of possession numbers. But like the first half is like 21 minutes for LSU and just nine minutes for South Carolina. Like when your defense is giving up 500, 600 yards, keeping the, the other team's offense on the field for, for, for just nine minutes, that fixes half the problem like they they don't have time to get to 500 or 600 yards and so they ate up the clock uh on offense made it easier on the defense gave the defense a lead to play with so that south carolina couldn't run the ball 50 60 times they had to throw it a little bit and that wasn't what they wanted to do so it's gonna be the same with auburn you know you you want to get a lead early you want to eat up clock with the running game you want to play um you know, a lot of RPO, a lot of safe throws for TJ, make it make his job as easy as possible and then get a lead and make Auburn go out there and sling it because, you know, Bo Nick struggled against LSU last year. He struggled a little bit this year. I know Derek Stingley um, has a chip on his shoulder, not getting freshman of the year when I don't even remember if that was the media or the coaches, but, He he knows that Bo Nix got it ahead of him, even though he picked off Bo Nix last year and had one of the best freshman seasons from a defensive player we've ever seen. So that's in his mind. That's in the team's mind. So they're going to play with a chip. And uh, that's what I would say is, hey, make Bo Nix beat you in the air. Don't let Tank Bigsby get going on the ground. Don't let Nix kill you on the ground. And uh, make them play from behind so they got to sling it around the yard. And if you can do that, that's probably your best chance for
0: winning. And LSU has a great opportunity here. The schedule doesn't get a, you know, it's not a ton easier, but it's, it's the way, uh, you know, having the Florida game postponed till later in the season, having this Auburn game, which I think is a, is a great opportunity to build that momentum going into a bye week and taking, getting prepared for now for Alabama, which still, you know, looks good, very good offensively, but can be tested defensively Um you know, maybe this can mirror in some ways last season, where the defense in the second half, getting adjusted to changing, you know, ad- adjusted to the missing of the the key players like a Kerry Vincent. Those last four or five games, LSU could really define themselves th- for this season and going into next.
1: Yeah, I thought the way the last two weeks played out um, played right into LSU's hands. You know, when you're you're struggling, um, your quarterback goes down, going to Florida. That's that's a tough. Tough combo right there. So getting that little breather, um, I think was was huge for LSU. And then getting the win against South Carolina, you kind of get your swagger back, um, you get your confidence going back going. And and now you're looking at the rest of the schedule, which this this is the most challenging portion of the schedule for LSU coming up. But you, you do have some momentum going into it. You do have some confidence going into it. And I, that's why that's why this game against Auburn is. It's huge. You know, it's it's a weird season, regardless of how LSU performs on the field with the all SEC schedule. And you don't know what the playoffs are going to look like. You don't know what some of the other conferences are doing. But, you know, it's, it's not a lost season. It still counts. It still matters. And, you know, coming off a national championship is always difficult. But you have to keep that standard high. You know, if it's and, and I'm not necessarily referring to the record as much. Um, I'm I'm more referring to the the trajectory of the program. Like you, you got to keep that thing going. You you can't come out and and start one and three. Um, so to, to write the ship and get it to two and two instead of one and three, that's a big difference. And so is the difference between three and two and two and three, because then you go into Alabama and, hey, you've, you've won two straight if you go in, and beat Auburn, and, and you won on the road. And, you know, you've got some some identity about you now so that, you know, even if Miles comes back, hey, we know we can run the ball. We know we can um, control the clock a little bit. It's, it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a shootout sling out, but we can do that. So that, that's, that's where they are right now. It was, it was a big point in the season. This season, um, this season college football is so different from any other sport and that every game matters so much. And this season is that on steroids because it's all SEC games. Um, there's, there's no break. It's just relentless. Hey, this team's good. This team's, I mean, like even going beyond Alabama, Arkansas is, is good now. The Texas A&M is good. Ole Miss is, is much improved. Florida's sitting there at the end of the season. You got to go to the swamp. Like there are no off weeks. So um, I think LSU learned that the first three weeks, especially losing to Mississippi state and, and Missouri, they learned that they can't, let their foot off the gas, and they kept it on the gas against South Carolina. Now you got to go to Auburn, where LSU's had some success in recent years, um, and and you got to keep that thing going. You got to keep the standard high, and uh, make sure you're going into that Alabama game with all the momentum that that uh, that you can get, because you're going to need it. That's a good Alabama team, and uh, and you're going to need some momentum and some confidence.
0: Before I let you go, I want to close on this. Um, I just want to give a lot of credit to Coach O for creating an atmosphere at LSU of accountability, but positive positivity. I think he is quite honest. And, and, and as a reporter from the outside, it's really refreshing that he's very honest about his team, but at no time, you know, in some programs, in some places you see coaches throwing guys under the bus or doing this and that Orgeron always keeps it focused on the field and, about how they can improve. And I think that in this time, when these kids are looking for some stability in a this very strange situation, I have to give him a lot of credit externally. And, and of course, you see it internally in how he's handling this for the program.
1: Yeah, you know, he, um, Coach O is, is, is the culture he's created. Um, is, is really strong. I think you saw that last year, but this this is the year where that stuff matters most. Like last year, you could have had a, a less than stellar culture, but your talent was so good. Your schemes were so good. You know, you were going to win those games for the most part anyway. Um, You had, but you had individual character within that team. You had Joe and Clyde and, and Justin, and just all these Rashard Lawrence, all these high character, highly motivated players that you could delegate to this year um, is, is so much younger. It's so many guys that, Weren't underdogs like those guys coming out, like Joe and, and Clyde and, and Justin, kind of the epitome of the underdog mentality. You got a lot more young guys, but uh, five stars, four stars, guys with you know um, more more ego about them, more um, less failure in their past, and that's where that's Coach O's biggest challenge this year is turning to his personal failures that he had before LSU, that he transformed into fuel to get to where he is that's easy to communicate to Joe Burrow, who sat for three years at Ohio State. It's easy to communicate to Clyde Edwards-Elair, who was a three-star coming out, ranked in the 500s in the recruiting class. That's easy to communicate to Justin Jefferson, who's a two-star recruit coming out, and people thought he was a walk-home when he showed LSU. Showed up to LSU. That's harder to communicate to five-star freshmen, uh, four-star freshmen. And he. I think starting one and two helped him communicate that. And I think last week he really set a, a tone of, Let's stick together. We're one and two, but we have to stay together as a team. And TJ did a great job of of kind of carrying that message. As a freshman, the whole team kind of rallied around that message. But it's got to stay the same. And, and I, you know that that's you know Coach O's. I think he's now twelve and zero after a loss. He is the king of bouncing back from adversity, both in that microcosm scale and then the macrocosm um, of of you know failing at all Miss coming to LSU, win a national championship. So that's, that's his forte. And there are detriments to that. There are dangers to that when you delegate so much responsibility to your team. Um, but they also have put an emphasis on recruiting high character, recruiting guys that can handle that amount of pressure. He's, he's not a control freak. He's not a guy that, um, that, that has to, you know, everyone, everything has to be done the right way. He's going to give his players the space to express themselves and to, to be themselves. And he is going to be super honest with the media and, and tell you, Hey, my quarterback's hurt. He's not playing this week. Here, my freshman's going to go. Here we go. A lot of coaches wouldn't do that, but he has a method to it. He's doing it for a reason. He wants to instill confidence in those players. And I, I think it helps. I think it helps the TJ Finley to know that your coach is out there saying that he trusts you to win the game. You know, I think that helps those guys. And so it's uh, this year is, is where that stuff matters the most. It's where coach O has to be at his best. And I think he really delivered this week with South Carolina. And I think this Auburn game is just another test of it. And uh, it's going to be huge. But that's why, you know, that's why we tune in every Saturday and watch these games.
0: Yeah. When the national championship was won, I said this was going to be the most important year of his career. And I said it for the same reasons that you just did, that it's not about the record. It's about maintaining that championship culture that everybody who comes in now expects that level of accomplishment, but also the level of work that it takes to get there. That's how you become an Alabama, a Clemson, and you're there every year. You're in and you're out, no matter who the players are. And I think that's you're seeing that carry over. And to do that under circumstances that we could not have imagined in January, that, that carryover has just been something great to witness.
1: Yeah, you know, this is a team, this is a season where veteran teams have the advantage because of the lack of preparation, because of the way that COVID threw everything through a loop. And it's, and conversely, it's much harder on young teams and much harder on teams that lose a lot and nobody lost more in terms of talent and experience than LSU did last year. So they were already behind the eight ball a little bit and they've had to catch up. Um, I hope they've caught up. It seems like they've caught up, but I think this is the week where we figure that out. If they go out, you know, regardless of the result, um, if they beat Auburn, obviously that's that's huge. But if they go out and, and they're, they're competitive and they they don't make a lot of mistakes and everyone plays well and, you know, Auburn just outplays you, that that's one thing. But what LSU did in the first three weeks was they beat themselves. And that's what young teams do. They beat themselves. And what older teams do, mature teams do, is they don't beat themselves. And so, Let's see if LSU's gotten to that point, because I have a feeling that if they don't beat themselves, they're so talented that they're going to win the game regardless. And they'll go to Auburn and win. Um, that, that's that's how I feel about this team. But I, I still don't know. That's that's the weird. that's the other weird thing about this season. I still don't know exactly who this team is. I think we saw a step toward their identity last week. But. That's not an identity. That's one week. An identity is doing it week after week after week. So that's the test of this week. That's the test of this season as a whole. That's the the, the test of this week um, as as an individual week. And that's why I'm excited for this game. Um, that's why I think this game is, is is so big. You know, throughout the records, throughout the rankings, this game is is big for um, the identity of the program, the identity of of this team. And, you know, it's, you know, it's not – if you win, the season's not over and you're a champion. If you lose, the season's not over and you're a failure. But it is a huge, huge step in where LSU's trying to go as a program um, both now and in the future.
0: Yeah, it's, it's never easy on the plains in Auburn. But I, I'm excited to see it. And I think, you know, I, I'm going to take the approach and, and I encourage fans too is look at each game. You know, let's not get caught up yeah. in the forest. Let's look at the tree and watch the trees from week to week and see how they yep. grow. Uh, yeah, Cody, that's well said. Cody, thank you so much. Please tell the folks how they can follow you and check out the stories that you do for for LSU um, and all the other things coming up.
1: Yeah, thanks for the, uh, the chance to plug. Um, yeah, you follow me on Twitter at Cody Worsham, Instagram at Cody M. Worsham. Doing a lot more video stuff this year, uh, podcasts, hate fighting podcasts. Uh, is the LSU football podcast. If you're into hoops, boot up is the LSU basketball podcast. That'll be cranked up uh, pretty full speed ahead here soon. So busy time of year, fun time of year though. And uh, always good to catch up with you, David, love your work and and love everything you do uh, in new Orleans with the Pelicans and and the saints. And then obviously the stuff you do with LSU. So always a pleasure to join you.
0: Thanks so much, man. And I hope we get to talk again soon. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, for Cody Worship. I am David Grubb, and this has been another edition of Hard to Paint. I'll talk to y'all soon. Thanks so much for listening.